Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks so much for listening to The Collective Podcast. My name is Josiah, and I actually get to lead the ministry here with a bunch of other incredible people. Collective is the ministry for young adults for Grace Church Bath Campus. Uh, I hope you find this conversation helpful in your relationship with God. And I also want to invite you to check out Collective in person. We meet every Thursday night at 7 o'clock at Grace Church Bath Campus. And you can find all the info you need on our Instagram account, GCM underscore Collective. Once again, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy. Now today, I want to talk about faithfulness and continue that conversation. Uh, But I want to talk about um, kind of the the hard part of all of that. I want to have a, a, a hard conversation that I know that is all too relevant um, in many of our lives right now. Today, I want to talk about um, what does faithfulness mean in suffering? What does faithfulness mean in suffering? And I know too many of us in this room are all too familiar with suffering. Uh, there's a lot of people that I'm sure are here tonight, and you would probably say, you know, the reason I don't believe in God or the reason I don't feel like God is worthy of being trusted is because of some kind of suffering that's happened in my life. Maybe I was rocking with God a long time ago. Maybe I just never got into that whole thing because of the suffering problem. Um, but the reason I wouldn't trust God is because of my parents' divorce. Uh, the reason I wouldn't trust God is, is because of the disease that I got diagnosed with. The reason I wouldn't trust God is because I lost somebody that I love so deeply and they're no longer part of my life or because of the loneliness or because because uh, the levels of depression that I experience every day. Who would create me to experience life like this? Um, or it's just the suffering of other people. I see how people live in other parts of the world. I see how other people in my life live. And I just don't believe how a God that actually cares uh, would, would allow something like that. I, I, I have a lot of friends in my life that at one point um, would be, uh, would have called themselves like Jesus followers. You know, they were all into the whole Christian thing. But then something happened in in their life. And when that thing happened in their life, they walked away. And maybe you're in the same boat. And I, I don't blame you. There, there's not a lot of things you can be certain of in life, but one of the things you can be certain of in life is this. Every person will experience some degree of suffering. Every person, that's, that's the human experience. Every person will experience some degree of suffering. Um, and unfortunately, some of us experience a lot more than others. And so the question becomes, how do I trust God in the midst of all that or in spite of all of that? And I, I just want to let you know, if that's a question that you're asking, um, I think that's an incredibly fair question to ask. I don't think you're dumb for asking a question like that. And I definitely don't think you're like a traitor or faithless for asking a question like that. And God definitely isn't mad at you for asking a question like that. Um, I've stayed up for hours. I've, I've lost a lot of sleep at various points in my life just thinking about that question, trying to wrap my head around it. And that's not some kind of betrayal against God. In fact, there's an entire book of the Bible dedicated to exploring that question. How can suffering and faithfulness and God and goodness of God all work together? And that book uh, is called the book of Job. And it's funny, if I were God, which I'm glad uh, I'm not, because there would be seven more sequels to Space Jam if I was God. Uh, but if I were God... Um, I feel like the whole suffering thing would be something I tried to sweep under the rug. If I, you know, if I had like a Bible, if I was writing a book about myself, uh, I definitely would try and like hide the whole suffering thing because that doesn't make me look good, right? That wouldn't make me look really responsible. Um, but I'm very thankful that God cares more about me and he cares more about you than he does about his own reputation. And, and so instead of trying to, you know, like you read these old myths of like these old mythological figures, you can't find bad stories about them, right? Because they're trying to, you know, the old pharaohs, they try and hide all the, uh, all the baggage. But God doesn't try and do that. God explores the positives and negatives of the world that we live in because he wants us to be able to navigate through them and he wants us to see that even in the midst of that, he actually is good the whole time. And he actually is loving uh, the whole time. And so here's kind of the whole point of the book of Job that we're going to read today. And this is what we're going to talk about. This is kind of the whole message wrapped up in the one thing. Unexplainable suffering is going to happen in my life. That's a guarantee. Unexplainable suffering is going to happen in my life. But God will be 100% faithful to me in that suffering. The question is, will I be faithful to him? Unexplainable suffering is going to happen. And God is going to be 100% faithful to me the whole time, whether I can see it or not. 
The question is, is more in my hands. Will I be faithful to him or not? So if you got a Bible or you got a phone, uh, we're going to look at the book of Job. Maybe you got like a Kindle Fire, you know, you can load up that app, you know, an iPod Nano, you know, and you can just scroll, you know, for a long. I, I remember when my dad first got, he got a Blackberry phone. Like this was like, you know, 15 years ago. He comes back with a Blackberry phone. Like he just has the coolest thing in the world. And to surf through the internet, it just had this tiny ball and you had to like, you know, all the way through. If you got whatever you got, we're going to look at Job chapter one, uh, and we're going to kind of read through the story a little bit. So track with me. And it's, of course, it's up here. In the land of Uz, uh, there lived a man whose name was Job. And this man was blameless and upright, and he feared God, and he shunned evil. This is way before Jesus would have ever come onto the scene. Um, and there was this guy named Job. And when, when it says that Job is blameless and upright, think of it this way. That means Job did nothing wrong, and he did everything right. You know what I mean? He's just like this innocent guy that just does life the right way. Uh, when it says that he feared God and he shunned evil, uh, fearing God doesn't mean like, you know, being afraid like it would now. Fearing God was this old Hebrew idiom for saying he loved God with all his heart. He was completely dedicated to God. And so Job was this guy that loved God with all his heart. He just did everything right, innocent guy, and he ran as far away from he could uh, as he could from evil. And he had seven sons and three daughters. This man got busy. And he owned uh, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, uh, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Um, and we learn here, Job is a wealthy man. He's a very blessed guy. Uh, he has a loving, healthy family. You know the family that they put up on the billboard that you're like, if only my family. You know, that's Job's family. Uh, he was very financially well off, very financially well off. And he was beyond respected in his community. He was this godly, generous kind, compassionate kind of guy. Um, and the story goes on, if you read the next couple verses, and it lets us know that Job was the kind of guy that if you were ever in need, Job would drop everything and come help you. If you had a flat tire on the side of the road, Job's going to pull over and help you. Um, and then it, it says that Job is the kind of guy that just led people to God all the time. If someone had like this broken relationship with God or was wandering away from God, Job would run after them. He would point people to God and say, you got, you know, come and follow God. He would even and like, you know, sacrifice his own life for other people to find who God was. He is the guy, you get the picture here. Job is the kindest, most loving, most generous, faithful person you have ever met times 10. He loved God with all his heart. He's not perfect, but he loves God with all his heart and he serves him every day. Now the story continues, verse six. One day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord. So now the scene is in up there in the skies somewhere. The members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before God and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked. You know, it's like, what the heck are you doing here, man? Uh, the, the, the word Satan actually isn't, you know, we say Satan like it's a proper name. You know, uh, Satan isn't a proper name. It's a title. Uh, and, and it translates to uh, the accuser or the one who opposes or the enemy. So th this guy comes up to visit God, and he's this enemy guy. He's this accuser guy. He's the devil. He's Satan. Um, and God's like, what are you doing here? Satan answered the Lord, uh, I've been roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Seems like you're up to a lot of great stuff, Satan. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless. He is a man of complete integrity. He fears God, and he stays away from evil. You see, Job, Job loves me with all his heart. Satan replied, though, does Job fear God for nothing? God, do you think Job actually loves you? Have you not put a hedge of protection around him and around his household and everything he has? Have you not sheltered him? Have, have you not pr made him prosper in everything that he does? Look how rich Job is. But if you reach out and if you take away everything he has, you'll see that he never loved you. He will surely curse you to your face. You see what, you see what Satan's saying? He's like, God, Job doesn't really love you. Don't you see the incentives he has to follow you? You think he's blameless. You think he's upright. Well, that's because he's rich. If you took away all of his stuff, then you'll realize that he never loved you to begin with. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day, 
When Job's sons and daughters were having a party, feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your ox were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside the ox. When the Sabians raided us, they stole all the animals and they killed all the farmhands. And I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Job, these guys came in and they killed all the animals they had and they killed the employees that were trying to watch the animals. But while this guy was still talking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. All the sheep and shepherds were out and this like meteor struck, struck, you know, and they're all dead. And I'm the only one who's here. As this guy is still talking, another guy came up. A third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and they killed your servants. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Person after person, all in like five minutes of each other, comes up to Job and says, Job, all your animals are gone. All your stuff has been stolen. All your employees uh, are dead, which means your money is gone. Your business is gone. You are no longer a rich man. You have nothing left, but then it gets worse. While he was still speaking, this messenger, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were having a party in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly, a powerful wind in the wilderness uh, came in from the wilderness and hit the house on all the sides. A tornado came, and the house collapsed, and all your children are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Job, your entire family's gone all at once. Tornado came in, took them all out at once. You are alone. You are the only one that's left. You're no longer rich. You lost your possessions and you lost your family. And at this, Job, the most innocent man in the world who loved God with all of his heart, got up and he tore his robe and he shaved his head in deep grief. Then he fell to the ground in worship and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. I came here with nothing. I will leave with nothing. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. You see what happens in the story. The worst possible suffering just happened to the least deserving person. The person that did everything right and did nothing wrong just experienced the worst suffering that he could have conjured up. And the story goes on. You know, we just read chapter one, but the book of Job is 42 chapters long. Um, and throughout the story of Job, he goes, he wrestles with God about suffering. He goes through every form of grief. His friends and his community blame him. They say, Job, clearly you've obviously messed up and this is some kind of punishment for some secret thing in your life that we don't know about. Um, Job praises God. Job questions God. So this is a good moment for Job, but later Job questions God. Um, and then it, towards the end of the book, Job yells at God. He is not perfect through the story by any stretch of the imagination, but the story ends with Job deciding to be faithful to God. And the story shows that J God was faithful to Job the entire time. The story ends with Job deciding to be faithful to God. And throughout the story, God was faithful to Job the entire time. Now, every time I read the story, and, and maybe you're right there with me, I'm left with a lot of questions about this story, right? They're like, what on earth is going on through this whole thing? Um, and I won't be able to answer them all tonight. And that's why I love Collective, because you can hang out here all night and, and discuss these things with your friends. And we have a bunch of groups that you can bring these kind of conversations up. Um, but I do want to point out two key observations, two key observations before we go any further. First one is this. Notice the story goes out of its way to say that God did not cause the suffering that happened in Job's life. You notice it like goes out of its way to say that. In the story, who causes the suffering? Satan. Satan that's right. Satan. Um, and this is very important to understand. God didn't create a world where suffering was supposed to happen. The devil did that, and we joined him in it. God doesn't cause suffering. He redeems it. He uses suffering to rescue us, and sometimes that's going to make sense to us, but a lot of the time, most of the time, we're not going to see how that's working out. And that's part of what, the, you know, there's at no point in the story does Job ever realize the reason that he's suffering. It never resolves on that. Um, God doesn't cause the suffering, Satan does, but God redeems it. That doesn't take the questions away, but the book of Job goes out of its way to say that. The second thing, observation about the story, is if you keep reading, 
you probably notice uh, that this story isn't written in the style of the other historical stories in the Bible. It's not written in the same way that the biography of Jesus's life would be written or, or the stories of David or Abraham or, or, or these stories that are clearly trying to depict themselves as historical accounts. This story is written with a lot of poetry and it's written with a lot of imagery and it's written more like a parable than it is a historical account. Now, that doesn't mean this didn't happen. Uh, scholars are Christian scholars are kind of divided on that. They have different opinions. Some scholars think it's historical, others don't. But all the scholars agree that the point of this story is to ask a question. It's not primarily concerned with like, you know, here, one's a long time ago. It, it's, it's trying to get you to ask a question. And here's the question that the story is crafted to force you to ask. Do I believe that God is required to reward me for being faithful? That's what it, the whole book of Job is trying to get you to ask this question. Do I believe that God is required, he has to reward me for being a good person? For when I obey God, do I, do I believe that God is required to bless me in return? Do I think that that's some kind of uh, correlation? In fact, I just want to do a quick show of hands in the room, and, and, and uh, I just want to get everybody's opinion. If you would say, yes, God should bless me if I obey him, I, I want you to give me a thumbs up. And if you would say, no, God doesn't have to do that, that's up to him, I want you to give me a thumbs down. Everybody give a up, thumbs up, thumbs down. What do you think? Yes, no, maybe so. Okay, I see a, I see thumb, some thumbs up and I see a lot of thumbs down, okay? Um, and I, I'm guessing that if you uh, know anything about the Bible or you grew up in church at all, you probably know that technically you're probably supposed to answer thumbs down. Um, but here's the thing, here's the thing, and it is a premise I'm gonna work off tonight. Whether you can admit it or not, whether you can admit it or not, or not um, all of us at some deep level, almost all of us behave like God is required to bless us if we follow him. As some, you might say, no, God can do whatever he wants, but I don't know that you actually believe that. Almost all of us behave, in fact, I do think probably all of us, behave like God is required to bless me when I am faithful to him, when I am a good, am a good person. And here's what I mean. So, my brother Micah, uh, he, he was playing the bass here today. Uh, my brother Micah has the most advanced sense of humor of any person I've ever met in my entire life. And he has had this sense of humor since he was a child. And he was always just kind of above everybody else. Like, he just, he's not arrogant at all. He just, like, exists on another level. And it, my dad would always say, this is Micah's world and everyone else is living in it. Like, that's, that's it. And uh, when Micah was in middle school... Um, our church would take these uh, trips to Kalahari, the water park, because we would have this uh, youth conference at Kalahari. Uh, we, they just did it this this past weekend. And so what would happen is it'd kind of be like collective. You know, we, they'd take, uh, there'd be like 3,000 teenagers that would go to the Kalahari water park, but then they'd have these sessions in this big conference room where they had like a band that would play like this and a speaker that would come up and teach. And so you'd spend most of your time in the water park and then a couple of times a day you'd, you'd do this kind of session. Um, and so Mike was on this trip. Uh, but Kalahari, if you've ever been there, you know that right in front of the water park is an arcade. There's a big arcade. It kind of functions like a Chuck E. Cheese, like you win the tickets, you get your prize kind of a thing. And that's right in front of the water park. And as Micah was walking into the water park, he just looked up at the prize rack and noticed that the number one prize uh, on the prize rack was a cherry red electric guitar. And he uh, determined, he said to himself, I am going to buy that guitar. Now you might ask, uh, did Micah play guitar at the time? No. Uh, this was his logic. The guitar was like a million tickets. Uh, and this was what Micah told his friends. He gathered all his friends and said, um, we are going to get that electric guitar by winning these tickets. And here's what I want to do with it. I want to take the electric guitar into the session where the band is playing. And as the band is playing, I want us to walk up right to the front of the stage and look at the electric guitarist. And I want us to throw the electric guitar at him. <laughs> And all his friends were like, why would we do that? And Micah just goes, he'd be so confused. <laughs> They'd be like, whose guitar is this? And they're like, okay, then what happens? 
he'd be so confused. <laughs> like, that was it. You know, that was his, his grand plan. And, and my kid just has this ability to convince you to do something. And so all of his friends were sold. This was the thing that we are going to do. Um, and so for the rest of the weekend, uh, all their parents paid hundreds of dollars for them to come to Kalahari. None of them ever once went into the water park. They stayed in the arcade uh, the entire weekend to try and get a million tickets. And they, they devised this system. Uh, you guys ever play skee-ball? You know those, you throw up that skee-ball. You guys play skee-ball. You know how skee-ball works. You throw the ball, and if you get it up into that 100-point slot, right, you get the most amount of points. And anytime the ball goes into the 100-point slot, uh, the most tickets come out, right? And if you get perfect score, you get a ton of tickets. Well, you, you see how they have those guardrails to prevent you from just walking up and putting the ball into the slot? Well, they had this one friend, Mike, who hadn't gone through puberty yet. And they realized that Mike could just fit in there. <laughs> he could just fit his whole body in there, but he couldn't really get out. You know, he had, he had a hard time. So he would just kind of climb up, but he's kind of stuck there. And so they devised a system where Micah would hand Mike the ball. Uh, Mike would just kept plopping it right into the $100 machine. Every time, or every time it went, tickets came out. Um, and then he got all of his other friends to collect the tickets and take them up to their hotel room, which was attached to the arcade. Um, but here was kind of their system. Uh, they, they took, they you know, would kind of take all the tickets up to their hotel room, but all of them kept some tickets in their pocket because they knew they would inevitably be caught. And so anytime they got caught, they'd be like, oh, we're so sorry. And they'd empty their pockets. Meanwhile, there's thousands and thousands of tickets up in their hotel room. You get how this is going. So they did the system and it worked. It worked. They did this all day long. They just kept handing the balls to Mike. Mike kept putting them in the $100 thing and then ticket after ticket after ticket after ticket. Their hotel room, if they had a picture of their hotel room, it literally looked like Mr. Krabs swimming in money. That's how many tickets they had in their, in their hotel room. And sure enough, they bought the guitar. And sure enough, uh, that last session that night, the worship band was playing. He has the video of this. You can ask him for it. And the worship band was playing. They're doing their thing. Uh, ironically, earlier, uh, the pastor at the conference had just given a big speech about how everyone was being disrespectful during worship and they were throwing toilet paper and they were messing up the chairs. And right before he said, uh, you guys need to stop being disrespectful. This is a God conference. You can't be doing that. And Michael looks at his friends. He's like, we're still doing it, man. <laughs> we're still going for it. So, so the band is playing the guitar. They walk right up to the front of the stage. They take the guitar, they throw it at the guitarist. It falls right in front of the guitarist. And sure enough, he was so confused. <laughs> Whose guitar is this? I don't know. And then he just kept playing. <laughs> that's that's kind of how they went. Um, we treat God, we treat God, I think a lot of us treat God like he's a ski ball machine. And here's what I mean by that. Um, if I can just aim my actions just right, and if I can live just the right way, if I can get the ball in the $100 slot, God has to give me tickets. Cause effect, cause effect. I put it in, I get tickets in return. I win, I get tickets in return. Cause and effect. If I do this, this is what God owes me. Most of us behave like my faithfulness equals God's blessing. Every time I roll the ball into the $100 slot, God has to crank out blessings for me. If I obey God, God has to reward me for it. I earned it. I deserve it. Give it to me. And this can play out in a few ways. Some of us will only follow God when life is bad. Some of us will only follow God when life is bad. I, I talk to people at Collective all the time. I love meeting, you know, people are here for the first time. And I love how honest people are. Um, every once in a while, somebody will come up and say, you know, Josiah, I just got to be honest with why I'm here. I'm here because uh, someone broke up with me. You know, my girlfriend just broke up with me. Um, and ever since I lost kind of the love of my life, I know that something's missing. So I decided to come back to church to, to fix myself, to figure out who I am. Uh, and, and that's why I'm here. And I, I always appreciate that genuine. And I, and I think that's a lot of us. That's a lot of how we re, uh, relate to God. When you get laid off, you start praying again. 
God, please provide. God, please give me my next job. When you get dumped, you look for love in Jesus. God's love is the only love I need. It wasn't the only love I needed five weeks ago, but now it's the only love that I need. Uh, when you don't know what to do, you start reading the Bible. Please, God, give me some answers. You know, take me to my next step. When you get lonely, you come to church again. Let's be honest. The reason 75% of us in this room are here right now is because you're lonely, <laughs> right? And so you magically kind of show up. Uh, you come back to God. God, but here's the catch. As soon as you get enough tickets out of the skee-ball machine to buy the thing that you actually want, you walk away from God. As soon as God gives you what you want in return, you're done with them. So as soon as your girlfriend comes back, as soon as your anxiety goes away, as soon as you find a new set of friends, as soon as God gets you back on top, you hardly talk to him again, which means you don't really love him. You're just using him. It means you don't really love him. You're just using him. You know, don't you hate being used? Some of you, uh, you work in the business world, and uh, you watch your coworker kiss your boss's butt. Doesn't that just drive you crazy, man? You watch your coworker just kiss your boss's butt. Uh, your coworker's always complimenting your boss. Your coworker's always coming up. How can I help, Mister Sir? How can what I, can I can I wash your car? Can I do your lunch? Right? He's always coming up trying to help. And you know what kind of employee he actually is. Uh, and you know the kind of person he is. You know he doesn't actually care about your boss. What does he want? He just wants a promotion. He just wants a good resume. But as soon as your boss doesn't give him what he wants, he abandons the company. He talks smack about the boss behind his back. Or he talks smack to his face at his next job. He dogs his last company. And, and you think, man, that's disgusting. That's immoral. He's just using him. But isn't that how you treat God? You kiss his butt to get what you want. When he gives you what you want, you walk away. Or if he doesn't give you what you want, you walk away. Others of us, you know, have you ever had that experience where that special boy is talking to you and you think, man, this is really the one, you know, this, this guy, this guy's really something, you know, you really think he's so sweet. He's asking such genuine questions. I didn't know boys could be like this. You know, he, he's taking an interest into, into all the things you think about into, you know, all your hobbies and, and all, all your job and all he's being so kind, but then you realize over the course of time, this guy just wants to sleep with you, Right? He's love bombing you. It happens all the time. And as soon as he realizes that you won't do it, or as soon as he gets what he wants, he walks away. Don't you hate that? Isn't that horrible? Because he, want, he didn't want you, he wanted something from you. And isn't that hurtful? And doesn't that make you feel disgusting? And doesn't that break relationships? And you might say, oh, that's horrible. Men are pigs. But isn't that how you treat God? Isn't that the human condition? You know, everyone wants to be loved for who they are, not for what they can give. That's what all of us want. All of us want someone to love us, not for how we perform, not for, for what we can do. We want to be loved for who we are, not what we can give, because that's what love is. Love is wanting the person, not the perks. But God is like a vending machine to a lot of us. You put in the right actions, you reap the right rewards. You give him what he wants, he gives you what you want, and you walk away. And what you think is love, or what you think is faith, is actually manipulation. So you got to ask yourself a question. Here's a real question for you. Do I actually love God or do I just love what he can give me? Do I actually love God or do I just love what he can give me? Some of us will only follow God when life is bad so he can get us back on top. But others of us, and I think this is probably most of the people who would say they're Christians in this room. I think most of us, a lot of us will only follow God because life is going good. That's the only time we're faithful to God when life is going good. You know, you got to give the devil his dues. I think the devil has a really good point in this story. You know, you know what the devil says? God says to Satan, Job loves me with all his heart. Job is so faithful. Job, Job he, he, he runs away from evil. Job is blameless. He's upright. He's this incredible guy. He gives to others. He goes to church. He reads the Bible. He prays all the time. He tells other people about Jesus. Job, Job is, you know, Job loves me so much. But Satan says, do you think Job is doing that for nothing? Do you think, you think Job is doing that just out of the kindness of his heart? Have you not put a hedge of protection around him? 
Have you not protected him and his household and everything he has? Look how rich he is. But I bet you if you took away all the stuff you gave him, he wouldn't be loving you like that anymore. I bet you if you took away all the stuff, he will curse your face. Don't you, here's what Satan is saying. Here, don't you realize Job has an incredible amount of incentive to follow you? Can we, can we just be honest about our own lives? Don't you realize that a lot of us have incredible incentive to follow God? Every time Job throws the ball, it pops out a million blessings. Look how rich he is. Who wouldn't follow you, God, if they were this rich? Who wouldn't obey you, God, if they weren't winning the lottery like this too? Who wouldn't claim to love you if they were this happy? You've sheltered him. Don't you understand? You've sheltered him. You put a hedge of protection around him, but reach out and take away everything he has and he will surely curse your face. If you take away what you've given him, if you take away that hedge of protection, you'll realize he actually never loved you to begin with. Here's the thing, man, and I just gotta be real frank. I just gotta be real frank. I think a lot of us in this room uh, are very obedient to God. Yeah, not all of us, I know a lot of us are just kind of exploring Christianity, but I know some of us are. Uh, so you believe all the right things, you, you follow right, all the right actions, you, you live a lifestyle a certain way, and no one would think for a second that you would ever abandon Jesus. You don't even think for a second that you would abandon Jesus. But here's the thing for many of us in this room. You don't really love Jesus, you're just sheltered. Just try and be straight. I think for a lot of us, you don't really love Jesus, you're just sheltered. You have a hedge of protection around you. It's really easy to look at other people who have had different life situations and be like, why did they, you know, run away from God? Why can't they just pull together? Why are they out doing drugs? You know, how are they? It's really easy. But here's the thing, man, you're sheltered, they're not. I think a lot of us confuse faith for protection. But here's the question. What happens if God takes everything away at once? And, and hear me on this. If you would say in this room, I've had a really hard life. You, you yell at them, Josiah. You yell at those, those sheltered church kids. No, I'm, I'm talking to you too. What happens if God takes away everything you care about the most? You know what suffering is in the book of Job? It's really interesting. When Job says at the end of the story, he says, God, you give and you take away. You give and you take away. Do you know what suffering is? Suffering really at its core is when God allows something to be taken away that you were never entitled to to begin with. Suffering is really when God gives you a gift and somebody else takes away that gift. Now, I'm not saying that to minimize the pain of suffering. My wife is an incredible gift to me. If something happened to her, I'd be absolutely devastated, but she's not something that I was promised. You know, th those relationships aren't something that I'm necessarily entitled to. And, and so what happens is Job is given the gift of financial security, and he's given the gift of a loving family, and he's given the gift of, of solid friendships, and he's given the gift of health. And then all of those gifts get taken away by Satan himself. So here's the question. What happens if my gifts get taken we all have our different version of a hedge of protection. What happens if those gifts get taken away? What happens when the blessing stops? Here's another way to ask the question. Is there some kind of line when I would walk away from God? Is there some kind of line when I would walk away from God? Is there some level of suffering where I would stop believing that God is good? And is there some level of suffering where I would stop believing that God knows what he's doing? Is there some kind of line when I would walk away from God? What happens if I lost all my money? Or what happens if when my friends screw me over? Or what happens if, if I did lose my family all at once in an accident? Or what happens if I get terminally ill? Or what happens if I never find love or never get married? Or what happens if no one ever respects me again and everyone belittles me for the rest of my life? And what happens if all of those things happen at once? Would I still wholeheartedly trust and serve Jesus through the pain, through the tears? I'm not you know, through the questions. But would I still run back to Jesus? That's the question Job is trying to get you to ask. You might not actually love God. You might just love the life that you have right now and you use God as a mechanism to maintain it. You think if I just serve him, if I just behave these ways, there's no way he would ever take these things away from me. God is your skee-ball machine and you're on the top right now. But what happens when that hedge is gone? What happens when those blessings leave? I think for a lot of us, when the blessings leave, so do I. The question is not how do I live right now, it's how do I live when the hedge goes away? Um, what happens if I lose the things that I care about the most? Can I tell you something just honest about suffering? I'm just being straight up from personal experience. Um, 
Suffering is where I feel most justified in being unfaithful to God. Right? Suffering is when I feel most justified in being unfaithful to God and, and to, you know, running away from him. And, and just think of your own life. If, if you think God screwed you over, why would you follow a sexual ethic? What's the point? If you think God screwed you over, why would you ever work on holding your tongue? If you think God, you know, screwed you over, why would you ever restrain yourself from having too many drinks? And, and if, God, if I think God screwed me over, I'm sure as heck not reading the Bible every day or asking God for advice or for help or for guidance or for wisdom. It's in the midst of suffering that I feel the most justified in being unfaithful to God because I would look and say, God, screw you. If you're going to be unfaithful to me, I'm definitely not going to be faithful to you. If I can't see what you're doing, you're definitely not getting my affection in return. But it's actually in suffering when my faithfulness to God is more important than ever because if I trust that he's good, I know that there's, his mind is not mine. There's something else at play here that I don't totally understand. Can I be straight up about, can I be straight up about the story and about the book of Job? I want to say this really gently. I want to say this really gently. If you abandon God when suffering comes, if you abandon God when you lose what you want, you have just proven to yourself that you were using God the whole time. If you abandon God when suffering comes, you have just proven to yourself that you were using him the whole time. The second the tickets stop coming out of the machine, so you walk away, you realize what your relationship was. God was the skee-ball machine. And when he stopped cranking out the tickets that I wanted, I left them behind. How do I know if I actually love Jesus or I just love the stuff that Jesus can give me, the answer is found in how I respond to unexplainable suffering. How do I know if, if I actually love God, Jesus just for who he is, for his love, for his compassion, for his mercy, for his trustworthiness? How do I know if I love my father in heaven just because he's my father in heaven and I'm his kid? Or how do I know if I just want his stuff? The answer is found in how I respond to unexplainable suffering. If I stay faithful when I don't understand, I'm proving that God was the love of my life. Because even if we're in the valley, if I'm in the valley with him, I got all I want. But if I walk away, get this, if I walk away when I lose something, that means the thing that I lost was actually the thing I loved the whole time. When I walk away when I lose something, that means the thing that I lost was my real God. The security the comfort, the shelter. That was my real God the whole time. Now I know in this room there are stories of unbelievable pain. I know of many of you. I love you guys so much. And I know many of your stories. I know many of us have stories where you did lose the person that you loved the most when you needed them the most. Or stories where you never knew, you never met your dad. Or you don't know your mom. Struggles through depression that are just grueling. It eats you up. Stories of abuse, just unspeakable abuse beyond what I can fathom, beyond what you're comfortable of even sharing. Some of us have just always felt alone. And you, you've questioned over and over again, why would God, if he's even real, or why, why would I even be put here if this is supposed to be my life experience? Some of us have immense pain in our stories pain beyond what I could know or, or so how can I be faithful to God with all of that in the background you know I think that's a fair question let me tell you a couple things about faithfulness being faithful doesn't mean you can't cry 
Being faithful doesn't mean you can't doubt. Being faithful doesn't mean that you're perfect. And being faithful doesn't mean that you can't yell at God. But here's what faithfulness does mean. Faithfulness means you cling. That's what it means. Faithfulness means you cling. Here's the thing about pain. Pain is inevitable. And there's only two ways that you can try and get through pain. You can try and get through pain running from God, or you can try and get through pain clinging from God. I think a lot of us in this room right now are running from God. That was something that you believed when you were a kid. That was something, you know, maybe you heard about a long time ago, or it's something that was just never in your life at all. And so you're trying to get through pain on your own, or you can cling to God. But pain is inevitable. Whether you run from God or whether you cling to God, it's not going to change the things that happen in your life, the events that you have to face through, because pain is inevitable. You can either lift your hands and surrender and entrust and worship, or you can lift your fist in anger and you can flick God off. But that pain is going to happen either way. You know, this past Friday, um, my family celebrated a late Christmas. And so, uh, my, my dad's side of the family got together and you know, all our aunts and uncles came over and all this stuff. And uh, they decided to watch old home videos. My, my mom had all of our videos digitized, so we're just watching them through now. And uh, my dad, it, they were old home videos of my dad and his siblings growing up as kids. So uh, my dad just as a kid and my grandparents, you know, as parents. And um, and my uncle Dave, my oldest uncle, was just kind of narrating these videos and telling us the stories behind them. And I want to tell you a couple of stories um, that he told us and some that I was learning. So my dad's parents, my grandparents, uh, were not raised Christian. They were both raised uh, in abusive, alcoholic families, both of them. Um, they both thought each other's parents were cruel. And so uh, my dad's parents got married young, were trying to figure out life. They were having kids and they were having, you know, that goes, that's a rocky thing, right? Um, But at some point uh, after they got married, my grandfather, poppies we called them, uh, my grandfather found Jesus. And my grandfather gave his life to Jesus. And then my grandmother, Grammys we called her, uh, gave her life to Jesus too. And here's the thing, man. They were devout followers of Jesus. They loved Jesus. Uh, they would give away money and everything that they had. If, if somebody knocked on the door and like it was like a homeless person at the door, my grandpa would just like go downstairs and just like give them whatever he needed. They would just drain cash on people. They would let people live at their house for months on end. It's beautiful. They went to church three times a week because that's what their pastor said they were supposed to do. And so uh, they, they did that. Um, and they did everything in the Bible as best as they could do it. You know, the, um, there's a part of the Bible where Jesus says, when you pray, pray in the closet so that no one will see you. And he, he's just speaking metaphorically. But my grandpa didn't know that. So my grandpa would just pray in the closet and <laughs> he closed the door, you know, because they're just trying to be devout. They love Jesus. fell in love with him. And so they gave their lives to him. They wanted to do whatever they could do to follow him. They served him wholeheartedly. Now, it was just a week uh, and some change before Christmas, maybe a week and a half, two weeks before Christmas. And uh, my grandpa was, was driving uh, the whole family home from a, a, a Christmas party that he had at his work. He worked at a factory. And so he took the whole family and they, they were all driving home. And this was just after they accepted Christ, just a little bit after. Um, and they had three kids at the time. They had uh, Dave, who was a 10-year-old boy, who's the oldest. They had Doug, uh, who was an eight-year-old boy. And they had Susan, who was about to turn five. And so just young kids, you know, the whole family is in the car uh, driving home. And as they were driving home, they saw out in the distance that uh, there was a train coming. And, you know, the, the, the rails went down. And so they were the first ones up. They lined up for this train to pass, and they're just parked in front of this train. And they're waiting for a while, you know, talking, whatever. And just happy family enjoying themselves. <laughs> but out of the distance in his rearview mirror at night, um, my grandfather looked back, and he saw that there was a car that was just coming right at him. Um, and you know, you see cars that are going really fast and he just thought, you know, maybe it's going to slow down, but he just kept going and that car didn't slow down. And he thought maybe it's going to slow down, but the car just kept going and it didn't slow down. 
well, maybe it's going to slow down. I kept going and the car didn't slow down. Now, at this point, because they were right in front of the train, the only way that they could move is if they actually backed up. And so by the time they backed up, it, it was going to be too late. And so th- they're preparing, they're trying to figure out how to get away. This car does not slow down one bit. Drunk driver, he's going, 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 bang. My grandfather's head slams into the steering wheel. The car hit so hard that the bolts of my grandmother's car seat snapped and the car seat came up and the car seat broke and she slams into the front of the car. 10-year-old Dave slams into the seat in front of him, just full force. And luckily he was able to grab five-year-old Susan and kind of hold on to her or she would have launched forward, but he he held on to her as tight as he could. But eight-year-old Doug was sitting on the side um, and he had his, you know, he was leaning up against the side of the door and they used to make the, the sides of the doors on the inside, they used to make them out of metal. And so he had his head right here and he slams his head into the metal. Full force. Everyone's hurt. Cars are totaled. Um, but everyone recovered except for little Doug. Eight-year-old Doug uh, died just a few days before Christmas. We were watching the home videos, and before the accident, um, there, there was a break before and after the accident. Before the accident, we're watching the home videos, and you just see the three kids smiling, and they came out, and they're, they're, you saw three stockings on the wall, and you saw all these presents on the tree. And you know, they're telling the kids, are you excited for Christmas? Yeah, I'm so excited for Christmas. And then there's a long break in the footage. Just nothing. And then eventually the footage comes back. And instead of three stockings on the wall, there's two stockings on the wall and a picture of little Doug. And one third of the presents are gone. And I, I just watched this, this poor family try and get through their first Christmas without their eight-year-old son. And, and the siblings just try, trying to be happy, trying to put a smile on, but they're trying to get through. Just a few months after that, in the midst of unbelievable grief, remember, brand new Christians, they just brand new, giving their whole lives to Jesus. A few months after that, uh, my grandmother, who had just lost her son, lost her father. Just a few months later, her father died of an aneurysm, and she said what, what she thinks happened was her father, who was an alcoholic, blamed himself for Doug's death because he would have said, if I wasn't an alcoholic, Doug would have been staying with us during the Christmas party. So because I'm an alcoholic, he, he was in the car, um, and so I'm responsible for this, and he just died of an aneurysm just randomly one day, immediately following after the funeral. Time went on. They begin to heal kind of as a family. They're trying to pull it together. The depression, of course, is setting in. The grief is setting in. Tears every single day. Uh, A while goes on. And right when they think they're starting to see over the mountain, what happens is my grandfather gets a call. What had happened was it was Easter Sunday, and my grandfather's sister uh, got her and her husband and seven of their eight children were in the car driving home uh, from an Easter Sunday night service at their church. They were a devout Christian family that had found Jesus and the whole community knew about Jesus because of them. And they were driving home late at night after Christmas, seven kids in the car, when this girl that was racing her boyfriend, boom, slams into their car. Every single member of that family died except the oldest son who had brain damage. So my grandfather and my grandmother took them in. That, that car hit so hard that they had to find their bodies out all throughout the road. It made national news because of how horrible of an accident that was. When I read the story of Job this week, preparing for this, all I could think of was that. This person died. This person died. You lost this person died. Un bearable suffering, unexplainable suffering over and over and over. And I'm sure my grandfather and my grandma who just lost their whole family, I'm sure all they thought was, God, why did you let this happen? What did we do wrong? You know, what command did we break that you're punishing us for this? 
I thought you were supposed to be good. I thought you were supposed to be loving. I thought the reason, I thought you were supposed to keep stuff like this from happening. And I'm sure many of us have been in the same spot, but here's the thing. There's two ways to get through pain. You can run from God or you can cling to him. The pain is going to happen either way. I, you would have thought, my grandparents would have said to God, God, why did you come into our lives just to destroy them? You know? Why did you come into our lives just to destroy them? You know, what's the point of giving our lives to you if you were just going to curse us? What's the point of trusting you if you were just going to hurt us? Screw you. You're irrelevant. You're unloving. You can't keep your promises. And either you don't care or you're not powerful to do anything about this. You're either unloving or you don't have any power. Either way, screw you. And, you know, if they responded like that, fair enough, right? I mean, you'd get that. I'd get that. But here's what my grandparents said instead. In the midst of that, in, in the grief and in the depression, they just looked at God and said, God, help me. Help me. Help us. I don't know what to do. I just lost my son. Help us. Be close to us. Show us what to do. I'm mad. I'm in the worst pain I could be. And it really seems like you don't know what you're doing. But I know somehow you do. You give and you take away. But I'm going to cling to you. And I know that you love us so deeply. And I know you see things that we don't see. And I know God was whispering in their ears. Man. And maybe he's whispering the same thing in your ear. I know God was whispering in their ears. The reason I came into your life was for this moment right now. This was going to happen either way. But the reason I came into your life is for this moment right now. I would so much rather suffer with you than leave you on your own. They didn't know why they lost their son. But here's what they did know. God was with them. You can say a lot of things about God. But here's one thing you can't say. You can't say God doesn't care about your suffering. You can make a lot of claims. But you can't say God doesn't care about your suffering. Here, here, here's how I, do you know, you want to know how I know God doesn't, how I know God cares about your suffering? Because once there was a man who was more innocent than Job. He's more innocent and he was more upright. And there was someone once who took on even more suffering than Job. Suffering that he didn't have to take on. And there was someone who took on even more suffering than they were taking on. My grandparents. And even more suffering than we would take on. And his name was Jesus Christ. He was God himself. And Jesus was the most innocent, most loving, most, <laughs> most generous, most selfless person to ever live. And he came from heaven to earth to get beaten to death. I can't explain the whole thing, man. I don't, I, I don't get it. My mind is not God's. But I know that a God that doesn't care would never come for me. And I know whatever was happening on that cross was to protect me and was to shield me. And it was a hedge of protection around me. And when Jesus died and when Jesus rose again, he gave this promise and he said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will suffer, but take heart because I have overcome. Jesus promised you will not have to live in suffering forever if you trust in him. Jesus says that there will be a day if you trust in him where there will be no more pain. And there will be no, no more weeping. And every wrong will be made right. Jesus promised that one day we're going to meet God face to face. And we will know in that moment that God loved us the whole time. 
And every decision God made, he made because he loved you with all your, his heart. Jesus promised that. And so now we're left with the choice. Some of us are in the thick of it right now. You're in the thick of it and you have an option. You can either do it on your own or you can do it with him. He entered suffering with you. And so my grandparents held on to Jesus and it was horrible, but they got through and they knew because of what Jesus did that one day they could have their son back. You know, I'll never, <laughs> so my grandpa, he, he lived with us throughout most of my childhood before he died. They lived in our house. And I remember when he was on his deathbed in his final years, um, my dad was sitting next to him and he was talking to him about, you know, he was going to die the next day and he was talking to him about going to heaven. And my grandpa said, he said, I can't wait to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. And then he said, and I can't wait to see Doug. I know I'll see my son again. I know every wrong will be made right. And it's only because Jesus, the son of God, the most innocent man who ever lived, loved you so much that he stepped out of heaven, that he stepped out of his comfort, that he came to earth. He was beaten to death. He was misunderstood. He was mocked. He was scorned. He lost his entire reputation. He died. And then he was resurrected from the dead. And now, in the midst of any suffering that you or I ever go through, we know this is not the end of the story. There's a God who sees me. There's a God who cares. And he can take me home. Psalm chapter 36, verse 8 says this. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. I cling to you. You hold me securely. Here's what the Bible says to do. I cling to you, God. You hold me. You hold me as I cry. You hold me as I yell. You hold me as I doubt. You hold me as I question. You hold me as I shake with rage. You hold me as I cuss you out. <laughs> but you hold me. And you never let me go. So I will cling to you. I will cling to you because even if I can't see it, even if I can't understand, even if I never understand for the rest of my life on this side of heaven, I know that somehow in some way you are faithful. So I will cling to you because if Jesus would suffer for me, I can trust him in my suffering now. Here's what we're going to do. Um, I want every person to bow your head. Just close your eyes. We can dim the lights down. I don't want to, I just want you to hear the sound of my voice. I have a question for you. Just listen. Close your eyes. Don't look at the person next to you. I have a question for you. Will you cling to him? Will you cling to him? <laughs> there are some of us who have not talked to God in a very long time. And I don't judge you, man. I, I get it. But tonight, what if tonight was the night where you tried to cling to God again? There are some of us in this room who have never talked to God ever. There's a lot of us in this room who have never talked to God. What if tonight was the night where you came home for the first time? And what if you asked God just a very simple prayer? And it's this. Help me. Help me. I don't know what to do. I don't know why this is happening. Will you help me see that you love me? Would you help me see that you're with me? I just want to give you permission. Listen, God knows what's in your heart. If in talking to God, 
you have to cry, cry. If in talking to God, you have to yell, yell. If in talking to God, you need to swear, swear. God can handle it. He just wants you to come to him. So as the band leads us into a time of worship, I just want this to be your space. If you need to kneel, you can kneel. If you want to stand in the back, you can stand in the back. If you just want to sit there, sit there. If you can't say anything, don't say anything except, God, help me. I don't see it. I don't understand. Would you help me? Let this space be your space to do that. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, Jesus, I thank you that there has never been a moment where I have left your sight. God, there has never been an ounce of pain of any person in this room that you didn't see. There has never been a tear that anyone here has cried that you didn't cry with them. God, I pray that today for the first time that some can see that. That anyone in this room who doesn't see that you're good that doesn't see you love them. I pray that tonight they would see it. So God, speak to us on levels that only you understand. And speak to us in ways that will only make sense to our hearts and our stories. But God, speak to us. And God, would you help us? Help me. Help us. Once again, seriously, thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you have any questions about anything that we talked about, please don't hesitate at all to reach out. Uh, You can shoot a direct message to our Instagram, but I'd also love to give you my personal email. It's J-O-B-O-G-U-E at graceohio.org. And if you shoot an email to that, I'd love to talk with you about anything going on at, at all. Once again, we'd love to see you in person at Collective. We meet at 754 Gent Road, Fairlawn, Ohio at 7 o'clock every Thursday night. And we'd hope to see you there.